Konnichiwa, and welcome to the Code of the Cardboard Samurai, a podcast all about Magic the Gathering in Japan. In this podcast, our goal will be to inform people both around and outside of Japan what is going on in the magic scene here. I'm your host, Ryan Schwenk, the Japan hobbyist out of Yokohama, and today I am joined by uh, a special co-host. You might have heard him on the show before, uh, Edward Nguyen. I think you said right. That's I don't. I can never pronounce that correctly. From uh, Cartel Aristocrats. Welcome back, Ed. Hey Ryan, how's it going? Going good. So, uh, you, you said last time you were on the show that uh, you know you'd always be up for coming on if you're going to be uh, coming to an event. And I think it's what next week is going to be uh, Magic Fest Chiba. It is so yes. winter. When are you coming in? What's what's your plan for that? Uh, so I'm currently in Barcelona right now, actually. Uh, we're recording this. Uh, for us, it is uh, Thursday, July 25th. I'm actually headed down to the venue here uh, in a little bit. Um, for those people that for, don't, for don't really follow, it is uh, both the Magic Fest happening here in Barcelona and then the Mythic Championship actually starts tomorrow as well. Um so I'm actually here to hang out with some European friends who are playing mm-hmm. in it in the event. Uh, people are uh, coming in, so I'm just kind of here to hang out with them, take a short vacation, mm. and then uh, next Tuesday here in Barcelona, I'll be flying uh, back to New York. Uh, what? Uh, yeah, yeah, nonstop back to New York, and then Wednesday, the following morning, New York time, I'll be leaving uh, New York to Atlanta, Atlanta to Narita. So I should land in, uh, Japan Thursday afternoon around 2 PM. Why? Why put yourself through that? Um, why go back? (laughs) That uh, sounds horrible. Uh, so it is slightly cheaper to book round trip tickets to and from the U S on Delta, Uh which is why I choose to fly. Um, you have some issues with booking, uh, around the world type legs. Um, uh, due to the price, the price is generally much higher, and you have some issues. Mm-hmm. You might have some issues with immigration. Yeah. I like leaving Europe. They would ask, like, why are you going to Japan if you don't live there, etc. And then you have to kind of explain that. And same when getting to Japan, they'll ask where you came from and why you came yeah. from Europe instead of from America. Um, I see. So I generally avoid those issues. It does add a bit more flying on top. Obviously, I have to fly, you know, back to New York. Um, I yeah. I have about a 14-hour layover, so I actually leave the airport, get a hotel room for the night, and then come back in the morning to fly out. Um, but for yeah, me, I mean, I, yeah, the, yeah, it's starting to cut you off there. The price is substantially cheaper doing that. Round trip to Barcelona was uh, like $900, and round trip from New York to Japan was, uh, I want to say, about 1200 It's not bad. Yeah. It's, it's not great. Yeah, my, I, I was going to say, uh, I myself just came back from the USA last week. I My last show, I think, went live on the 11th, and then like I flew out the next day. And I'm struggling with with jet lag still. Like, I'm fine in the morning, but I'm just crashing at like 8 p.m., 9 p.m. I can't stay awake. So do you have any secrets or advice before we get started for people that do this magic thing and they travel around? Like, you know, how, how, how do you, like, you know, stay awake or... You know how how do you survive these these constant trips? Um, 
a big part of it is just you have to get used to it. I travel so much that I don't really think about it anymore. Um, I also have kind of a very strange sleeping habit in that I have very set sleep times and wake up times. So mm-hmm. for me, I always wake up between 5.30 and 6 a.m. every day. It doesn't matter if it's a weekend, if it's a day off. Um, whatever day it is, I'm always up by 6 and ready to start my okay. day. Um, and usually I'm also asleep probably by about midnight or so, like between 11.30 and midnight. Um, so do you stay on that schedule when you travel to other places, like on their time? or Yes. Are you... Yes. So I generally try and plan uh, my sleep schedule um, forward. Um, so just kind of as a point of reference, uh, when I flew here, I flew New York to Amsterdam, Amsterdam to Barcelona. Um, mm-hmm. So in New York, I left New York at roughly 8 p.m., uh, the day before, uh, 8 p.m. in New York equates to about, uh, I want to say, like, it's six hours ahead. So 8 p.m. is, mm-hmm. like, roughly two in the morning. So I'm trying to sleep as soon as I get on the plane. Um, and then try and wake up four to five hours later. Uh, granted, mm-hmm. that doesn't work as well. So I had a relatively sleepless night while I was on the plane. Um, so that was a little rough. So I actually fell asleep fairly early yesterday. But when I got here to Barcelona, um, I landed in Amsterdam at 9 in the morning. My plane didn't leave until 2. I landed in Barcelona about 5. Um, I, by the time I got to a hotel, I tried to make myself stay up until roughly about 11 to midnight or so, and I was up by 6. And for the most part, right now I feel okay. Hopefully I'll be okay for most of the rest of the day. And then that'll just kind of help me um, readjust. And mm-hmm. and to look forward next week when I'm headed to Atlanta, or uh, to Japan, um, uh, I leave New York at six in the morning. I land in Atlanta, and Atlanta to Japan. Uh, the flight is about thirteen hours, and I leave at uh, I want to say roughly about eleven a.m. or so. Eleven a.m. is about midnight Japan time. So I, as odd as it is, it may feel very early, but my goal is to try and fall asleep right away. Um, yeah. And sleep for about the first six or seven hours. And then by the time I get there, I should more or less be adjusted because I would have woken up at the equivalent of 7 a.m. Japan time. Yeah. And then six hours later would put me in about 1 to 2 p.m. And then if I could stay awake until roughly 11 p.m. again, then I should kind of be adjusted um, for, for Japan time for the GP. So are you helping out with Dragonstar again this time? Uh, I will be hanging out with them at the booth, yes. So you'll be working the the vendor booth for a day or two if uh, people want to come say hello? or. Uh, yep, I'll be behind the booth. Not actually working, just hang, just behind the booth, kind of generically hang out with them. Uh, my friends are there, so they let me leave myself behind the booth and mm-hmm. uh, just kind of watch the operation and whatnot. So. so yeah, what are you going to be doing then? So you said you're flying in on Thursday. What's your plan Friday, Saturday, Sunday? If you're not working the booth, what will you be doing? Just mostly hanging out, just kind of watching how... Uh, how how things go um, for the most part just fairly just fairly low key for me. Okay, so sometimes you help out. This time is not one of those days. Yes, or not one of those times. Yes. So are are you pretty much coming to like all the Japanese Grand Prix now? I know last time I saw you was during uh, uh, Mythic. Sorry, not GPS, but Mythic Fest. Uh, you came to the one in, in Yokohama, I believe that was back in April, I think. Yes, it was about mid-April. It was about mid-April. 
And then now we have one here in July or in August. And then the next one after that, I think, is going to be in November in Nagoya. Yes. So are you, are you trying to make it to all of them now or? Uh, for the most part, it's been quite a while since I've missed the Japanese GP. Uh, I've been to the two this year in Kyoto and Yokohama. I think I made it to all of them last year. Um, Nagoya this year has some interesting scheduling conflicts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's addition- supposed to be Kita Kyushu. It's supposed to be down in Fukuoka. Yes. Uh, yeah, that yeah that was supposed to happen in May. It didn't. It got pushed back. Uh, or yeah. it got canceled, and then it's in Nagoya instead. Uh, Nagoya has some interesting scheduling conflicts in November. Um, that happens to be the uh, same weekend as Eternal Weekend. Um, yeah. North America in Pittsburgh. And there's also a Pokemon Regionals that is in... Uh, Portland, which is my hometown, I believe. Mm-hmm. I have to so you'll be there. Uh, I'm uncertain at this point. Um, I that, that that's a bit too far away for me to plan. I have far too many events between then and now for me well, to be able you wanted, to, to pull the trigger. If you wanted to stay in Japan a little bit longer, we have our eternal weekend coming up on the 17th and 18th, I believe, of August. Uh, I unfortunately have to. <laughs> I unfortunately do have to leave. Uh, the week after Chiba is Minneapolis, so I actually fly straight from Haneda Airport to Minneapolis uh, the following Thursday, and then from Minneapolis I'm flying to DC for Pokemon Worlds that's happening that weekend, the same weekend wow. as the aforementioned uh, Eternal Weekend Asia. So I had one more random question before we get started today. Um, People have been talking about how the Grand Prix in the USA or in North America have kind of been getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and they're like, uh, that they're saying organized plays in trouble and whatnot. But you've been to a lot of Grand Prix in in Japan, and wouldn't you say that for the most part, that the numbers are continuing to to maybe increase if not stabilize? You know that they they've always had like a strong uh, demand for organized play over here? Uh, I think there's quite a few parts to that. Um, I've only started attending GPs in Japan fairly recently. 2016, uh, Chibo was actually my first Grand Prix. That was the one that was hosted by Haruya, and it was the big legacy Modern event. Masters too. yeah. Was no, it, was it, it? it was a legacy one. It was a legacy was one. Was it a legacy? Okay. Yes, it was in November. I want to say it was like the same weekend as Thanksgiving. Um, that was the one before they did the Modern Masters 2 then. Uh, no, Modern Masters 2 was in 2015. Was that 15? Yes, okay. that was that was the one I believe it was... Yeah, it was... I That was before I started attending Japanese GPs. Um, gotcha. Yeah, so that was a little bit before my time. Uh, I believe that was it... when they occasionally did GPs in central Tokyo instead of Chiba, mm-hmm. from what I understand. Um, but again, that was a little bit before my time in Japan, as it were. Yeah, the, the the only one that I've attended to, kind of like close to downtown Tokyo, is the big site, Tokyo big site one that I believe they had two years ago, mm-hmm. the GP Tokyo. Yes. But you said that was in a couple parts, so do you have anything else you wanted to say about that? Yeah, so, um, so as a relative newcomer to the Japan scene, uh, the GPs in Japan always seem very vibrant. There's always a, a lot of people, they're basically two or capacity or very close to like capping out i know i know um registration starts a fair amount in advance and people are very on top of hey i plan on going to gp now that registration is open i'm going to pre-register right away and we've seen some gps fill out 
nearly instantaneously. I remember, I think there was a GP, one of the GPs last year. I want to say it was Kyoto. Uh, yeah, the it one... depends on the format. Yeah, I want to like say maybe was... the legacy one. Uh, yeah, was it modern. I can't remember to be honest. I believe it was the one that was attached to the Pro Tour in Kyoto. Um, uh-huh. But I remember, I, I believe it was that one that as soon as registration was live, it it sold out within like twenty four hours or something, and they actually had to add um, more seats to the main event. Um, yeah, and I think they ended up like throwing out like all the side events that first day, basically to to not to, how do I say to accommodate everybody. Yes, um, and that's you know that's a fairly steady trend not obviously not every gp sells out as fast um now but to my understanding most of them are roughly at capacity they still you know are fairly big events and i think compared to the u.s side a big part of that is that because gps in asia are so far and few in between it's a bigger Mm -hmm. deal for most people to be going to these still um yeah right like the the, the schedule this year for Japan, I feel like, wasn't quite as good. Last year, it was a little bit more reasonably spread out. Here, uh-huh. here we had, you know, the two GPs in back-to-back months, uh, Kyoto and Yokohama, were basically four weekends apart. Yeah. And then we had, you know, there's kind of that, it's been three months since I've been to Japan, um, you know, coming up this week here. And then from here, if I choose to go to Nagoya, it's basically another three months. Um, yeah. So kind of having, like, these longer... Um, intermissions is a little strange in the terms of scheduling but it still feels like it's kind of a special event whereas in america um there's just so many gps close together that each individual one feels like less of a big deal and i think that's kind of a deterrent to people wanting to go to them because in in their minds you know from a more of a local player you know if i can't attend x gp i can probably wait some small amount of time and I'd be able to go to another GP. Um, mm-hmm. we, we, and like without breaking too much of a stride. Whereas in Japan, if you chose, if you went to Yokohama, for example, you live in Tokyo and you went to Yokohama and, but you have to skip Chiba for some reason, uh, you know, yeah. vacation work or whatever, you know, it's, it, you're looking at basically another six months before you go to another GP. Exactly. Um, so, so go ahead. I was going to say, I was going to ask, so, like you said, you've been coming recently since 2016 or so. If they decided to move more events over to Asia, like namely Japan, would you come to Japan more if that was the case? I would, yes. Um, I I do enjoy going to Japan a fair amount. Um, I, I think there's a lot of like, good opportunities there. Um, I would certainly attend there more. Because I don't, I don't ever see Japan getting to a point like... Um, like America, right? Like in America, theoretically, um, you could go... We well, have the SCG Open as well, and you have all these other IQ events, plus you have Grand Prix. So there's plenty of organized play, I think. There is, there is. And especially if you live on the East Coast, um, and you're w- and you're willing to drive a reasonable distance, you can basically yeah. hit an event almost every weekend if you, if you chose to. Um yeah. It's like four hour, five hours driving, probably, but yeah. Yeah, so if you live like if you live anywhere on the eastern seaboard, especially somewhere central like Washington D.C., um, you're basically looking. The furthest you'll have to drive northward is uh, Providence. That's about a seven to eight hour drive. Um, if you drive south, you can get to Atlanta in I want to say like eight hours as well. 
And if you're mm-hmm. driving west, you can basically drive as far west as like Detroit or like uh, like maybe t- Chicago t- t- or something. Uh, Chicago's a bit further. Chicago's probably about ten hours. Right. Um, we got Pittsburgh and yep, yep, Pittsburgh, Philly, Columbus, maybe. Yeah, or... most of all, almost all of Ohio, Indianapolis, yeah, uh, Kentucky. Uh, you can basically hit like quite a few events, and if you're willing to fly, like you can fly to DC, uh, to like most of Texas in about two and a half hours. Um, so all, all these are like relatively short shooting distance. And I just don't see Japan getting to a point where you can have, you know, GPs across the major cities on like every month or two. I think that'd just be, yeah, the, it would be nice for me. I would love that, it, it but would be, it's not going to happen. <laughs> right. Right. It would be nice, but that would just be too many events. And that would probably start to lead, lead to kind of, event fatigue where people would be more okay skipping certain events if they know if they knew that there was another one coming up you know yeah. in, in the next month or two so um yeah like you said you've been coming a lot since 2016 what's the pull why 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 continue to come to events in japan um i i there's there's still like a lot of good uh opportunities to be picking up certain things um the market is just it's still relatively ripe for the picking, even though it has gone a lot worse, uh, especially now that so many or people more are more difficult, it. you mean? It, more difficult is probably the correct answer. Uh, a lot of things are becoming more, a lot more homogenized um, mm-hmm. now that a lot of people have started to pick up on these opportunities. Um, there, are still certain par- there are still certain things that, you know, that kind of sneak by because people haven't picked up on it yet. Um, but those are kind of coming, those are kind of getting much more rare uh, you always had a few flash of the pans, like with the Japanese War, the Spark. That was yeah, that was pretty phenomenal for a lot of Japanese stores. A lot of good um, value for for traders. Yes, yes. Um, so like things are things like those. Those are so good, but um, it has gotten more difficult because there's just so many people doing it now um, versus before. And I think a lot of the Japanese vendors have kind of started to pick up on these trends. Um, you know, I like it's it's no secret that uh, casual cards are um, are bountiful in Japan, and that you can definitely uh, do well with them because you know no one plays no, no the, the amount of people playing com- casual formats like EDH etc are just far Pop fewer. Or, yeah. yeah, just far yeah. fewer in Japan versus in America. And and I, I think we talked head. about that the last time you were on. Like, wow, EDH, you can get stuff so cheap over here. Yes. Um, so yeah, are you gonna be doing any side events then at at GP uh, Chiba? Uh, it's possible. We'll we'll see what it looks like, um, depending on how uh, how the event goes. It's unlikely I will. I just I unfortunately just don't play much Magic anymore. Um, uh, to me, it feels like I don't get enough equity on my time by playing Magic. Yeah, which is why yeah. that's that's kind of, that's kind of deterred me from playing competitive Magic. Um, yeah. I'd rather I'd rather lay low and spend my time either not stressing about magic, or mm-hmm. just doing something else entirely rather than you know trying to play magic. Unfortunately, that's kind of the reality, and I think to kind of tie back to your original question, I think that's kind of why GPS have suffered in America. Um, uh, I think I think a lot of people have looked at Twitter recently and just kind of the attendance of GP Denver last weekend. Yeah, and I think that I think that's a data point that people are looking at the most. And um, part of the issue is the format standard is 
not particularly interesting right now. We're kind of at the dead end of the standard format. People are already looking towards um, Throne of Eldraine, the the fall set that was recently announced at San Diego yeah. Comic Con last week. People are already kind of looking forward, and now that always of, happens. Right, right. Uh, and so people aren't people aren't really looking back. People are just kind of going through the motions. M twenty probably did a few cute things. The Bantscape Ship deck is kind of a new, um, yeah, the newcomer to standard, but. Realistically, we're looking at like another month and a half of standard. Uh, that's really all the lifetime there is left in this format before people get excited to play. You know, the new with the new cards of the fall. I'm looking forward to historic. I can't wait to find out more about that. Um, you know, they 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 talked about that starting from Ixalan, of course, right away on Arena, but. They said it'll probably have Kaladesh eventually, so that's what I'm most excited about. That's the kind of format I think would that would do really well at this point in standard. You know, like you said, when everyone's kind of tired and fatigued, you get this new type of format at the end. All this stuff's about to rotate out. Let's see what kind of decks you can play. I I think historic needs, I in my mind, it needs a few more blocks of cards. Um, well, because the problem with starting with Ixlon is that it's like right it's now, not enough. right, right, yeah, exactly. Right now, it's fundamentally no different than standard, yeah. right? Like, like if if you're trying to make a new format, you want to kind of add interactions and strategies that people haven't seen before, right? Yeah. Like if we kind of look back to the inclusion of Keldesh, right? Keldesh had uh, the energy mechanic from Keldesh Aether Vault, and then it had. Um, it had like the gods from uh, Amonkhet and Hour of Devastation, so it's yeah. And you kind of want to see if you, if you want a new format to exist, right? People, you want people to be excited about like how did those strategies play in with the strategy with the cards yeah. we have now? Stuff um, that was never in standard at the same time together. Exactly, exactly, right. That was, yeah, and I totally agree. I mean, it's not going to be interesting until we get those older formats into the. Or sorry, those older sets into the format. Right, right. Or once you know, Throne of Eldraine and a few more sets uh, come out, right? We can see how did, how did these cards play with Ixlon and Dominaria because they were never, um, they were never the standard at the same time. Historic is kind of the first um, co- combining of the sets as or combining of yeah. the blocks as it were. Yeah. Um, so I it, I imagine I do imagine like you said there will be a point when they retroactively add Kaladesh and Amonkhet block into the mix, um, but until then you know I think historic there's just a bit too much yeah. speculation on it uh, yeah. to see how it kind of develops. All right, well let's let's get back to our, our topic on the Magic Fest Chiba. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about is like kind of like the magic scene in the area. You know, have you? You know, in Chiba, have you been around? Have you looked at any stores around there? If if people are, you know, kind of looking to do things around the, how do I say, the events, where would you recommend they go? Um, unfortunately, I'm not the best person to ask about this. Uh, I, I this is probably more in your turf. Uh, for me, like, I, 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 I mean, of course, I know. I wanted to ask you first, though. Right, right. So again, I've my time in Chiba itself has been relatively limited. Most of the time, I'm just there for the grand prix and then i'm basically headed back to osaka or or quite literally just leaving the leaving japan um so uh, you just like in and out in and out you never have a chance to kind of do anything like or experience any of the nightlife or anything like that in that area 
I unfortunately don't. Like, after the GP, I'm just a little bit too beat to do much. Um, the extent, like, in, in Chiba itself, I'm not very familiar with it. I just, you know, just hop on train, just have, hop on rapid, a rapid train, get back to Tokyo, and then, yeah. you know, do things and that, there. That's, that's, that's usually the the best choice, I think. Uh, there, I've been to Chiba a couple times, and they have... What do, they, what do they have? They have, like, maybe three or four stores near Chiba Station, mm-hmm. which isn't really even where the event is. The event is actually going to be near... I want to say near Makahare Mese? Yes. Yeah, so it's like Makahare Mese Station. Um, I want to say it's on the KO line. Not KO, KU. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. It's the one that goes towards Disney. And I think that's one of the things that you could do if, you know, you're, you don't make day two or you're looking for something to do, the, you know, a few days after, a few days before, is you could go to Disneyland and, and Disney Sea. Right. So so just so, kind of, sorry, sorry to cut you off there, just kind of as a point of reference for anyone who is listening to this and Chiba is your first, uh, your first time coming to Japan. Yeah. You're, you're right there. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, you're fine. Um. For any, for just just kind of a, a bit of information for anyone who again who is coming to Chiba for the first time, uh, Chiba pre- Prefecture is actually not a part of Tokyo. It's on the outskirts of Tokyo. Um, yeah, it's it's a bed town of te- Tokyo basically. Yes, um, it's it's on the outskirts. It's a little bit more north and east of Tokyo. Um, in order to actually get from Chiba to Tokyo or from Tokyo to Chiba, uh, it's probably about forty five minutes by train. Um, it is quite a ways east um chiba is also where narita airport is which yep. may be the one that you're flying to uh it is nice because uh narita is again kind of because it's in the outskirts uh it's a little bit closer to get to compared to haneda which is i i would argue that it's it's, it's in yokohama basically yeah it handles uh, much of japan's uh traffic um you have a lot more flights that do land in haneda uh, at, at the times are a bit more restrictive, but you have a lot of international flights that uh, are to and from Haneda. Narito mm-hmm. handles a lot of international flights, so for me, um, like I'm flying Atlanta to Narita. That's just kind of that. That's Narita's Delta's kind of hub in Asia, mm-hmm. along with uh, South Korea at Seoul. Uh, but like I frequently fly Portland to Narita, Atlanta to Narita, uh, Detroit to Narita. These are all. Um, relatively frequent routes that i end up on and they all end up there um and it's it's much closer to get from narita airport itself to chiba where the gp is compared to some of these other places that are quite a bit of ways away from the convention center so yeah. i mean they do have a lot of, because it's at a con- near a convention center they do have a lot of uh, hotels and things like that there's a lot of restaurants that you can go to around there um i'm trying to think what else uh, there's a baseball stadium actually near the station that uh, they have events. So, like, if you are in town and you want to do something after after the GP, you can go see a baseball game. Uh, I know before – do you remember uh, – you said you weren't here in 2015 when they had the Modern Masters event. But they, every everybody had, like, their own special uh, play mat. Do you remember that? Oh, like, sorry. What, what, do you, what do you mean? Well, like Las Vegas had their own playmat. It was like the tribe. It was like Utrecht, I think. Oh, oh and yeah. Las yeah. Vegas and then Chiba. 
Yes. Like a special thing. It was all, they all looked the same. They just had like one small picture in a thing. And one of the things, the picture for Chiba was like a beach. And they do have great surfing. That's where they're actually going to be having uh, a lot of the beach events during the Olympics in 2020. So okay. that's another thing that you could enjoy, you know, if you're going to be coming. If you didn't want to go to Tokyo, basically. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm guessing everybody wants to go to Tokyo. But if you've been here a bunch of times and you want to do something different, that's what you can do. You can do baseball, you can do the beach, and you can do Disney. <laughs> right, right. And, yeah. yeah. And Disney's a little bit cheaper here than it is in the USA. I think it's like 7,000 yen or 7,500 yen, which is like $70 compared to $100 back in the USA. Right, right. It is uh, quite a bit more expensive to go in the U.S., especially during the summer, uh, especially because it's vacation time for a lot of yeah. families, a lot, a lot of parents taking their kids now that school's out type thing yeah and the lines are crazy in japan though that's one thing you have to worry about uh i've, I've never been to disney in japan um do they have like in america they have kind of the fast pass that you yeah. can use to bypass is that something that's also they they have it but those so many people use those gotcha yeah it's just it's you need to be ready for like a two or three hour wait if not more during the summertime yikes but all right i think that pretty much covers what i wanted to say about the magic fest chiba just you know there's there's some good side events i think on sunday saturday not so much uh i'll be going there on sunday to kind of just do trading and whatnot uh as far as like things to do like we just talked about that not a lot of card shops or anything to really see in chiba if you're gonna you know go to any card shops just go back to tokyo go to akihabara or or shinjuku or wherever um, so the second part of the show, what I wanted to get in was kind of getting back to your, what's the word I'm looking for, your uh, your expertise in the finance world, uh, so to speak. So what topics I would like to cover today would be kind of like more of the Asia-focused, uh, like only cards that you could get. So let's start, start with that. Uh, I know... What China had like that special planeswalker set, I want to say like a year or two ago. But they're not the first Asia only thing to, or the thing that you could only get in Asia. Like what other kinds of of cards or accessories can you really only get over here? Uh, so like there's in, in your experience. So there's definitely a few of them that are kind of cool. Um, I think the most recent one was the Japanese cast down promo that came with the magazine. Um, mm. Right, is that, that the was, mana burn you're talking about? I I'm not familiar with the magazine itself. I've only seen the promo, but um, I'm told that the magazine had uh, a few other promos for s- a few different types of games as well. I believe Weiss had uh, something uh-huh. inside. I want to say like I think it's like hard fight or something. I'm not. F- there's a few other things I'm not familiar with. Um, again, I don't. I I never bought the magazine. I, I only bought the promo itself. Um, so I'm not really sure what else is in there. But that was something. It has you know. If you haven't seen it before, look it up. You can on TCG player. You can actually type in cast down and it'll. I can't remember what the name of it. I think it's like Japanese magazine promo, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And I think they've they've done other ones before. I want to say. But I can't uh, remember off the top of my head. But so the, the publication that you probably want to look into over here is Mana Burn. I believe that is the magic oriented one. And I want to say they made a comic or a manga as well. Maybe that's 
what had the cast down special edition in it? I want entirely sure. I want to say, from what I understand, like and my kind of vague recollection of what I was told about the magazine, it was just kind of a generic hobbyist type thing. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's why there were several again several different promos from various games being kind of thrown into a mix just to kind of give people something cool to look at and like hey these are different pieces from you know these are different cards from the games that we talked about in the magazine that's why we included them with it um and another thing that i think they had uh, what a year or two ago they had that special art uh exhibition in tokyo i think it was only in tokyo is that correct yes and you get that special sarah angel yes the uh, I believe on TC Player listed as like 25th anniversary art exposition promo or something yeah. like that uh, for the Sierra Angel, which also had particularly gorgeous art. That was, you know, mm. that was kind of a, a a token for the event for the people people who went. They could sign up and get one. Um, I got one. <laughs> yeah, I had. I have, yeah. A, I have a few around that people brought to me that I picked up. Um, they're pr- pretty rare right i believe only for that event so like yes. we're looking at maybe i don't know ten thousand in circulation maybe or more a little bit more than that right it definitely wasn't a lot again it was just for the people who went to event and um and uh they're relatively they were relatively cheap i think it was just 500 yen to get into the expo and yeah. then and then the sarah angel was included as a result but that's kind of another yeah. one that is um that's been fairly popular that not everyone may know about as kind of a Japan exclusive only. Um, Any other ones you can think of? Uh, those are two that come to mind. I know that um, that these types of things are much more prevalent in Asia, um, mainly because these commemorative events are a much bigger deal. Um, so you have more of these special promotional type items. Um, last year when... Um, for Pokemon, there was a uh, a cycle promos that had various Pokemon depicted in the Scream art. Mm-hmm. Um, the artist, uh, I, his name escapes me for some reason. Uh, they did kind of again. They kind of did a special exhibition of his art in Tokyo. Yeah, and, and they had you know the, there's like the, there's just various Pokemon depicted with um, depicted in kind of the Scream style, the very iconic you know uh, somewhat. Uh, just a figure, just more or less screaming in terror, and then the Pokemon are kind of drawn in that. Art. Yeah, it's... yeah, yeah. I remember that now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, someone will have and to help me here. That's only Japan. Yeah, the artist, his name just M- like Munch, 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 M- Munch. Munch. I, I, yeah, Ed- yeah. Edvard, E D V A R D, maybe yeah. Edvard Munch. Yes, yes. Or Munch, M- mate's Monk. I don't know. I can't. I, I think Munch is the closest pronunciation of yeah. it. Um, but those, the, like, that's another type of thing that's you know popular that's just something we don't see in america um because they're um japan and a lot of asia they just choose to find these cool little things that they can incorporate into their event Mm -hmm. and it just kind of becomes a bigger deal because that's kind of how they incorporate um various hobby various hobbyists into like kind of people's everyday lives by bringing by bringing something that is that everyone's familiar with everyone knows about the scream um but and people, putting the Pokemon in there, uh, uh, yeah. My, uh, my my favorite one was uh, Psyduck. Right, right. It's that, great. That, that one is <laughs> that one is particularly endearing. Yeah. Um. Um. No. What I really wanted to talk about, as far as like Asia only cards, uh, in the past, 
we I, I believe there's been like a, some printings like the Black Border uh, Korean fourth edition maybe our fourth edition maybe Black Border was Japan those are kind of rare you can only get like a Black Border uh, like strip mine or something like that from the Japanese set and then I think Korea had a Black Border set I can't remember which one do you know anything about those uh, so the, so uh, those are Black Border those are Black Border fourth edition that was the initial introduction of um, magic in those languages. So that's why they're black border in the same way that beta is black border for English. Uh, you have foreign black border third edition in the Romantic languages, French, German, Italian. So that's where you get mm. foreign black border duels. And I think kind of just with the introduction of a new language, they chose to put in black border. Similar to how you have uh, black border ninth edition for Russian, which is where they first introduced the Russian language to Russian and mm-hmm. Ukraine. Um, and I think that's just kind of a trend they keep with. And in an event that, you know, they decide to print uh, magic cards in, I don't know, Arabic or something in the future, like, I imagine that set would be black-bordered as well. Um, I see. So um, how, how popular are those, just to, you know, asking, as, asking from a financial perspective? I know um, in the past people really wanted to get those black border cards, but are they not as popular? Uh, which ones? Sorry, like are you talking about the black border like fourth edition? Yeah, black border fourth edition cards from you know Japan and Korea. Uh, they're reasonably popular. It's uh, it's the only way you can get the old art lightning bolt in an Asian language, um, mm-hmm. because again that was the first printing of it, and lightning bolt wasn't printed again until uh, M10, right? Which mm-hmm. has which has like new face, but. Um, but that, that's how you get the old face art with, uh, like, Japanese on it. Um, so those Would are reasonably... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, those are reasonably popular. People do like... Again, people do like kind of the old face, old bolt. Uh, so, so, like, the bolts generally tend to do well. You have things like um, the Black Border Sylvan Library, because that was in 4th edition. Um, mm-hmm. Like, that also does fairly well. These, like, again, these kind of various... Uh, cards that only came in that uh, in black border for that set uh, generally tend to do well. Uh, same with like Swords of Plowshares. I believe Swords of Plowshares was in that. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Are those cards hard to find? I mean, you come, you go through a lot of different stores. You've seen a lot of inventories. Mm-hmm. Do you do you come across them rather often when you're in Japan? Uh, it's kind of hit or miss. I think it's. Um, because a lot of those cards um, are kind of obscure, the, the more obscure mm-hmm. ones aren't as easy to find. But it, but finding you know black border lightning bolt that's not terribly difficult. Mainly because I, see. I, I obviously that card is fairly ubiquitous, right? Everyone in Magic who plays Magic knows what lightning bolt does. Um, yeah. yeah. So that one, that one is much easier to find as opposed to something more obscure if you're just trying to like fill out a set, for example. Yeah. All right. So while we're on the topic of you know talking about foreign languages, especially Asian foreign languages, I wanted to ask you what you thought, or I mean, what how you would rank like the overall Asian language cards, uh, for example, like Russia, Russian, or Chinese, or Korean, etc. What's most popular? Like what what would be like your top five? Um, like what what are the most desired cards? Uh, sir, I. In my mind, the most desired cards are still Japanese cards. I think part of that is they've been around the longest. Um, there was um, 
there was kind of an era when Japanese cards commanded a massive premium over mm-hmm. um, English cards that uh, especially for Japanese foils that that's kind of a bygone era now like that it's not, now it's Russian um, Russian foils do command the biggest premium I think there's a, a much smaller market for them I think people still kind of like the way just kind of how exotic Japanese looks compared to everything else um, uh, yes the uh, Russian cards do command technically a bit more of a premium because yeah, a little bit rare, right? Because it, it's much harder to find. You can basically only get Russian cards from Russia or like parts of Eastern Europe that have it available. Um, whereas Japanese, there's just there, there's just so the the Japanese market. There's just so much Japanese product out there that it's yeah. technically much less rare. And I think that's kind of what caused uh, the Japanese market to be not as prominent as it were compared to before um yeah. and i think so you, sorry i was gonna say so you would put like japan at the top you're thinking I, I i think so yes and then what would be your second what would be the second most popular asian language uh for magic cards probably russian i think that that's kind of the one that like it's the people who like russian cards really like russian cards mm-hmm. uh, even though they're kind of hard to find um Korean is one of those cards that uh, I think it just hasn't been around as long as Japanese. So I think there was kind of a, a period where no Korean cards were printed. I want to say it's, they stopped with Urza Saga and mm-hmm. wasn't reintroduced until I want to say like Innistrad. Mm, I, I that sounds say, about right. Yeah. So that kind of, I think, laps in the middle has kind of made Korean a little bit less appealing than Japanese because Japanese was printed all the way through. Um, so, like, a, a Japanese Laurelwyn Thoughtseize uh, in foil it still commands a massive premium even though, um, you know, there's different iterations you can get. You can you can now get Theros Korean Thoughtseizes, for example. Yeah, but there's just yeah. substantially less people interested in that. Um, and I think just kind of japan culture has kind of made naturally japan japanese cards much more appealing than the various other asian languages and then so we so we got japanese russian korean and then maybe chinese yeah chinese i I think chinese cards probably kind of have a negative stigma with oh they could potentially be fake i think that's why they haven't they haven't caught on as much um I want to say they have two types of Chinese, uh, you know, like Cantonese and Mandarin. Is that correct? Uh, you have simplified and traditional Chinese. Okay. Yeah, those are there two different. Go. Those are two different printings of Chinese cards. Yeah. Am I missing any other? I think those are the only Asian languages they have them in right now. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, we don't have Sanskrit yet. That would be cool. Uh, yeah. uh, right. If if you discount the Apocalypse pre-release promo for fungal something. Yeah, yeah. There, there was kind of a brief period where uh, the pre-release promos were kind of printed in these more exotic languages. Um, and there's no Thailand. There's no Thai yet either. I think, right? No Thai. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So, so the next thing that I wanted to talk about. So uh, I kind of talked about it a little bit with you before, but I, I wanted to tell you about the Sataya. Sataya. I talked about this with Ben in our in our last podcast. They're basically like Blockbuster. They they rented DVDs 
and you know CDs and manga and stuff forever, and they're still around. Like in the USA, ten years ago, all of those rental places pretty much died because of you know things like Netflix and whatnot. But basically, how they've been surviving is by changing their business model. And recently, they've gotten into TCGs. You know, they have Yu-Gi-Oh, they have Pokemon, and now they have Magic: The Gathering. And what they've done to a lot of these stores that you know basically don't have a lot of people coming to rent stuff anymore is to add play spaces and uh, how do I say like shelves and stuff that where you can buy single cards and whatnot. And what I wanted to ask you is, what do you think the potential is for this, you know, like a store, for example, like Blockbuster, changing their business model to incorporate magic cards? How, how, what kind of impact do you think this will have on just MTG in general, like in the next, you know, f- year or a few years? Um, that's from good. An, yeah, it's a complicated, sorry, complicated question. But from like an MTG finance perspective, do you think, you know, will will this make cards like rarer or? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Is that too difficult of a question? No, 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 no. That, that's kind of interesting. I'm just trying. I'm just trying to digest it. Um, yeah, I think it's one thing for a store like this. It sounds like this is a kind of a much more mainstream store, as it were. Yeah. Um, it's it's that's not unheard of, right? In the U.S., we have places like Walmart, Target, uh, these various um, stores. That well, they do... just sell the cards. They don't have the singles in the play area, though. Right, right. So, um, so they, like those places, they only sell sealed product, which is simple enough to do, right? All you have to do is get a distributor, right, and say, "Hey, I want to carry this product," and then in theory, they have these third-party vendors that come and stock. Uh, yeah. the TCG sports cards that you see. Uh, carrying singles, I think, is going to be a, an interesting logistical problem, right? Uh, because that would have to be something that presumably is stocked by a third party because it does require a certain level of knowledge and um, attachment, as it were, to magic in order to be able to buy and sell singles. Um, yeah, and I, and I do believe, I want to say... What was it? Cardbox might have done this in the past, where they have like some kind of licensing thing. Um, there was a place called Printing Club in in Nagoya before that basically got all their cards from Cardbox. So I believe they just kind of like sell stuff to them at a, like a, a discounted wholesale price, and then get cards that way. Right. So right. that. Yeah. Yeah. So and that. that Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, another thing that I, I should probably mention is that a lot of these stores aren't in the same places as, like, your Hallelujahs and your Big Magics and whatnot. These Sitayas are going to be out in the countryside where there's no other Magic stores. Right, right. So I think, like, they're... Um, it, it might... It, it, it sounds like it would make the most sense for them to outsource the singles. Again, I just... Mm-hmm. Uh, as as kind of a main store, I don't imagine that TCG sales would be a substantial portion of their business. Yeah. Um, like it sounds like it would, they would probably be best served if they did kind of outsource it to uh, various third parties, maybe a, an actual card store that is looking for kind of another outlet to sell cards, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting because I don't think that most stores necessarily have problems selling cards. 
Um, I think with any store that has knowledgeable staff, people who are able to uh, follow the follow the market, be able to stay on top of pricing for Magic singles, necessarily mm-hmm. would have any problem selling cards. So I'm not I'm, I'm not completely sure what that looks like. But what it, what do you think inventory wise? Like demand wise or supply wise, I should say. Do you think this will will have any kind of effect on the supply of singles in Japan? Again, it depends on where it's coming from. If yeah. obviously the singles have to come from somewhere, um, I don't know if you know if it's necessary in their best interest to you know hire an MTG department or a TCG department and have people go out and like say, hey, I represent you know this company. I want to be stocking singles in my store. I plan on buying a lot. Are you able to sell them to me at discounted price? Right? Like, yeah. Um, again, because most stores don't necessarily have problems selling cards if they're on top, and most stores actually have problems keeping cards in stock because they sell they sell through cards so quickly. Mm-hmm. That's why mm-hmm. you, that's why you know going to GPS and being able to buy is such a big deal because now they have a way to restock keep, to, to restock and kind of get influx cards, influx yeah. of cards that they might not necessarily be able to buy in store. Um, yeah. So again, I, I don't really know what that looks like for them, what kind of their model, what their strategy is. If they do are able to restock from uh, a store, if they they have a store that is independently providing them supply, that might kind of give them a little bit more room to play with their stock levels. But um, ultimately that's kind of pulling from, from if, if it's a third party doing it, it might be pulling from their own inventory which, mm-hmm. you know, again, may not be the greatest thing, especially if they have no problem selling cards prior to this, yeah. right? Like, what does that look like? Now we have one store of inventory. Now we're trying to chop it between, you know, multiple locations, right? That, mm. pr- that might just provide a... That might be a bit too much of a strain on so, inventory. So basically what you're saying, there's a lot of variables right now, and it's too soon to tell, you know, what, what the, the impact's going to be. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's one more topic that I want to talk about, and then I think actually I will we'll probably finish this up. Uh, I wanted to ask you about like finance trends. You know, you've been doing like like you said earlier, you've been doing this in 2016. You got a couple years under your belts of coming over to Japan or or in Asia. Have you seen any kind of trends for like you know specific formats or specific cards? You know. That you know, like when you come over to Japan, like are people buying this or selling that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that the the a lot of the trends that have been universal are will continue to be so. Um, older formats, uh, legacy, vintage, old school, uh, those will just naturally always be more expensive in Japan. Uh, I think that one the first part is because the market is just generally much stronger. Um, mm-hmm. and two, those cards simply didn't, simply didn't exist in Japan, you know, China, Korea, these, all, all these places, because, you know, as we discussed previously, the first printing of magic in these countries was fourth edition. That's well, that's past the time of when duels existed, when power existed, mm-hmm. past car, past sets like library, library, uh, from Arabian Nights, Tabernacle from Legends, you know, all these were in 1993. Uh, fourth edition wasn't until 1995. Um, yeah. So, you know, there there's kind of that lapse. And as a result, right, every card that was printed in those two years that exists in Japan, someone physically had to had to bring there. Um, so that kind of leads to a certain level of scarcity that isn't quite as prevalent anywhere else in the world. And that, So you think, you think that'll continue then? 
I certainly think that will continue. Um, that's again, that scarcity will always be there, um, right? Magic originated in America. There will always be more. There will always be more black lotuses in America. There will always be more power in America than there is elsewhere. Um, yeah. And I think that's. I think I think that's just a market trend that will you know always be the case as long as you know magic continues to be played in America. Uh, I can only assume that the supply will just you know be much higher here compared to the rest of the world. And you also said earlier that you, you think that Japan's kind of getting homogenized and it's getting more and more difficult to, to make money. So, like, how is, how is that, what's that going to lead to in the future? I guess, like, what what other future trends do you see happening, like, in the next year or two uh, in MTG Finance in Japan or in Asia in general? Um, it's hard, that's hard to say. I think the, like magic itself is doing quite well um i think kind of the big question mark that's on a lot of people's minds is what does um what does organized play look like what does competitive magic look like because in uh that sells cards basically right yes and no i think the main goal of organized play is to kind of sell the dream for a long time it was you know they, the the motto for, uh, for them was play the game, see the world, um, and now I think there's been a lot of backlash with people who um, who have who are vested in the game and they don't see the same opportunity anymore. Right with the with MPL being introduced, you have kind of the a lot of the pro levels being taken away, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of uh, benefits that existed previously are being taken away. For example, a lot of people I know. Uh, could afford to make it to Barcelona because uh, the flights were expensive. Flights aren't covered mm-hmm. by Wizards of Coast anymore. Instead, they just have they provide you a five hundred dollar uh, prize simply for showing up. The minimum prize payout is five hundred dollars, um, and that's kind of it. Doesn't really pay for like people that are paying twelve hundred dollars to get over there, right? Right, right. So that's meant as a way to kind of offset that. But again, most people, most Americans aren't paying $500 to fly over here. Most people uh, are probably paying like 800 to like $1,500, depending on where, you, yeah. where you're flying in from. Yeah. And I, I, I think all these various things kind of put a crimp in competitive play, but it doesn't necessarily hurt Magic as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. I was discussing with some of my... Uh, the various group chats I'm in, uh, the Hasbro investor report that came out on the 23rd, so uh, two days ago at this point. Uh, if you if you look through it, Magic actually reports um, a surge in sales compared to quarter two of yeah, 2018. Yeah, I saw that. Um, yeah. So that means that the Magic brand is doing very well. Obviously, War of the Spark was a huge success for them. Um, I imagine uh, Mythic Edition also had something to do with that. Uh, to generate, you know, kind of the big numbers that you want as a company in quarter two. Um, but one of the things that they had mentioned was that they actually had, um, they had shown quite a substantial amount of growth in Magic Arena in their digital uh-huh. products, but the amount of money they're making from it is actually lower compared to last year. And then underneath that it says, this is a result of higher operating costs which means that they're dumping a lot of resources, a lot of money into Arena to try and make it work. Um, yeah. And so it the, sounds like it's been translating to more people going to stores and buying paper products. So. It, it has, yes, right? But again, what does that mean for 
like organized play, right? Like, is, is it necessarily bad? I don't think it is. I think arena is actually one of the best things that happened to Magic because you have uh, people who are able to who people who follow arena, for example. Um, just kind of reading through various like Twitter accounts, a lot of people mm. who started playing arena, they saw the arena championship that happened. I want to say probably a month or two ago. Um, but the guy that grinded his way from Argentina, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy that that won that. Uh, so people are watching that. People see that. Oh, uh, you know, there's there's kind of an end goal with this, and people are able to translate that into going to their local game store and buying cards to be able to play in person in addition to playing on arena. Yeah. Um, so it obviously does well for game stores. Um, it, arena has definitely been a boom, but. Uh, it, again, organized play is kind of the question mark. Like, what does that look like in the future? Um, yeah, so, I, like I said earlier, I hope Japan gets more. I hope we see more in Asia. Right, right. Um, we just have to kind of see. I do think that uh, there are certain issues with organized play that Wizards probably has to hash out. Um, right, like I think like GP attendance in the U.S., uh, I think that's like one of the things that is a little bit concerning. It's concerning as a vendor in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, you know, gone are the times when when I first started doing this. You know, back in two thousand fourteen and fifteen, we were uh, organized play was a huge deal. People were talking about how attendance records were being smashed every week. Um, yeah, like back then when I go to a small GP, right? You were looking at like like eighteen to two thousand people. Yeah, um, right. And obviously in Asia, uh, especially in Japan, right? You you almost never see a Grand Prix with less than two thousand people. Yeah, right? Most like we had 3,000 people when you guys were having, like, 2,000. Like, it's right. insane how many people were going. Right, exactly. Like, I think the venue in Chiba, I think it caps out, the main event could cap out, like, 2,500, like 2,600 people. Yeah, this time. But, like, before it was, like, 3,300. Right. If you add in kind of the, uh, like, people playing side events. Uh, well, not even side events. Side events was, like, 5,000 probably. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, but, like, but. you know, again, back then, attendance was... It was just much higher, right? Like 2,500, yeah. 3,000, those weren't necessarily unheard of. And now, you know, if some if you follow, if you follow uh, some of the people on Twitter, people are saying that, like, this is the first time the Grand Prix, Grand Prix in the U.S., the attendance has been less than 700 in, like, 12 years or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, that's fairly discouraging, right? Like, 2008, Grand Prix Denver had a GP that was bigger than Grand Prix Denver last weekend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right that's a bit disconcerting but i do think like in terms of you know what trends look like for the future i think asia will always be strong i think like japan is i believe the third biggest market for asia after america and europe yeah there's a lot of growth over here there's a lot of growth uh you know magic definitely has done well i don't think that that's something that will go away in the future uh yeah i think i think that that's kind of the benefit of being on island literally and figuratively as it were in the sense that you're relatively isolated from you know some of the issues that might kind of plague the world um yeah that you know may not be as apparent because japan is just so i part of it is being isolated and two it's so self-sustaining right that yeah. these are things that um like right? magic because... can sustain itself over here even if everything else is is gone sort of thing right 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 i mean like if you look at like if you look at Japanese GPs, you look at attendance, uh, it's still like 98% are, are Japanese players. Yeah. And then you have, you know, kind of your, you have a mix of 
people coming in. Pros coming from Taiwan and Korea. Yeah, Korea, yeah, China, Southeast Asia, so, like, Malaysia, Singapore. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have, like, you have a, like, smattering of Australians, but beyond that, you don't have a ton of Europeans outside the pros and the vendors. Yeah. And then, basically, from North America, you know, I don't, I really don't see many North American players other than a few that just kind of want to come and, um, just kind of have tied in with mini vacation for example yeah but a lot of the vendors and dealers from north america kind of have stopped coming since i started doing this like uh other than me i guess um i know i know that there are still people who come but um some of the japanese vendors have told me that you know a few years ago there used to be just a huge influx of vendors coming in from everywhere and now kind of, you know, people have just kind of changed their model or whatever and kind of yeah. subsided. Yeah. All right. Well, I think this is going to have to do it for today. I want to talk more, but you know, I, I have to head out. There's a fireworks show starting soon for all you listeners out there, and I don't want to expose you to that while we're talking. So uh, let's wrap this up. Is there anything you want to say, anything you want to promote, you know, about cartel aristocrats or anything else going on? Uh, nope. So just uh, so for people who haven't... Uh, Aren't familiar with who I am. Uh, I'm Edwin. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Edwin13. Uh, I tweet about a decent amount of finance stuff. Um, I'm one of the co-hosts on Cartel Aristocrats. Uh, it's an MTG finance-oriented podcast. We record once a week on Monday. Uh, it, it varies based on my, my travel schedule. Uh, some Mondays, if I'm traveling, we choose another day to record. Um, so, but we, I tweet a decent amount of that, uh, on Twitter. Um, I'm at most Grand Prix. Um, I do every Grand Prix in the U.S. with Tales of Adventure. Um, I'm in Barcelona this weekend for the Magic Fest slash Mythic Championship. I'll be in Shiba next weekend. And, um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I've, def- I've definitely met some people, um, in, in Japan that, uh, like, I, I, I think the first time I met you was in Yokohama earlier this year, so yep, that was pretty yep, cool to yep. meet you in person. Um, so I, I'm sure, I'm sure I'll meet some of your listeners in person as well. I'm in Chiba, so. Yeah, I hope you, uh, I hope you can, uh, come on the show again in the future as well. Yeah, yeah, I always appreciate we'll coming have... on and kind of, I get to, I get to learn from you as well because, you know, the the Talia thing, you know, that's news to me. Yeah, uh, maybe, and... maybe next time we should have you interview me. Okay. Ask uh, me about Japan. <laughs> okay, there we go, yeah. Because, again, my experience, I don't live there, right? For, in, yeah. case it, in case it wasn't obvious to anyone listening, I, I don't live there. I just come there frequently um, for events and whatnot. So, but that's me yeah. in a nutshell. All right, great. All right, so, uh, yeah, again, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, I'm hoping we get a chance to hang out at the uh, the Grand Prix on uh, August 2nd and 3rd. I'm going to probably get this uh, podcast out just before then so all you listeners out there can get a little bit of information you know, about the, the Grand Prix. But, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for today's show. We hope you enjoyed listening about MTG in Japan, and hopefully you'll be back next time to learn more about you know what's going on uh, in, in Japan and also in Asia and the MTG scene. Uh, if you have any comments for me, or suggestions for the show, you can find me on Twitter at Yoshwenki, and that's Y-O-S-C-H-W-E-N-K-Y, sorry, what Yoshwenki. Or you can contact me through my website, www.thejapanhobbyist.com. All right. All right. 
thanks again for coming on, man. I'll see you later. All right. Thanks again for having me, Ryan. I appreciate it.